I'm going to have her write my morning pages today. Oh my gosh, and, I love that. Yeah, That's and she just came out. Her name is Ruby, and Ruby Kincaid, and she's the she's the first person in the Moon Pies and Movie Stars, and she wrote that novel. I was the typist, and she, in that day I started, I never wrote another journal entry. I just wrote morning pages that became a novel from that, and it was really just about sitting down. Oh, I'm going to try that. I'm going to, yeah. that's a fascinating exercise. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the latest episode of Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Each week, we take a glimpse into the art of storytelling from many different angles. This week, we are stirring up something we know you are going to really enjoy. Our guest today will speak to your creativity along with your sweet tooth. Aspiring writers and bakers are going to be drawn in by our guest, Amy Wallen, author of the recently released How to Write a Novel in 20 Pies. I am Ron Block. And I am Patty Callahan Henry. Amy Wallen is the author of the Los Angeles Times bestselling novel, Moon Pies and Movie Stars. I'm so jealous of that title. It's a great title. <laughs> and When We Were Ghouls, a memoir of ghost stories. She is the associate editor at the New York State Summer Writers Institute. And the rest of the year, she facilitates and co-teaches with past Los Angeles Times book critic David Eulen, a manuscript workshop in San Diego, at which, of course, she serves pie <laughs> and teaches novel writing classes at UCSD Extension. God, she's so lazy. She is also the creator of Savory Salons, Literary Salons with Pie, A Day of Discourse, The Successful Authors and the Writing Life. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here, Patty and Ron. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so I love this book. It's, it's really different. And it's such a great concept. You teach creativity and you teach pie making. So tell us where the idea for the book initially came from. Oh, the, the combination was actually, um, I was standing in front of my classroom at UCSD and just looking out at all the students and how hungry, I mean, there's so many metaphors you can use for, mm -hmm. for pie and writing, but how hungry they were to write a novel and they just wanted to put their stories down. And I knew that writing was hard. I mean, I had, you know, published one and two books and I was like, this is hard, you know, and uh, it's a lot of work and, but a lot of people do it. And, but it really takes the secret it really is perseverance. And, mm -hmm. but I wanted it to be, 
I wanted it to be fun for them. You know, like I try to make my classes fun so that we're having a good time because it is such hard work. So I wanted them to laugh along the way. I wanted them to eat along the way. And uh, I am a pie baker. And really, I think I learned perseverance through pie. Uh, one of the titles that we didn't use was pie severance for the book. So oh. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes, because I think that's what it really takes is is perseverance. And, you know, pie making for me was like some people garden, some people go for long walks, some people uh, do a variety of other things besides writing to kind of get their ideas working or their, you know, they're just let their minds rest for a little bit, etc. And mine is pie baking. So yes, I think I wish we had um, smell vision or whatever you would call it so that we could also have uh, some some pie smells while we're talking about this. Well, I'll, I'll at least imagine it. Okay. <laughs> it's such a creative way of using all our senses. And I wish I could take your class. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. I'd love it. Um, yes. I'll have to fly across the country for that one. Okay. So the format... It sounds like your class is something I would love to go to, but mm -hmm. the format of the book is so unique. Can you tell us about the graphic novel type approach that you used? Oh, sure. Actually, the book, um, because the book is fully illustrated, it has over 200 illustrations by my friend Amal Wilson. Um, and we were in a writing group together years ago. It was actually Janet Fitch's group in Los Angeles, and we would meet at her house every couple of weeks uh, with the other eight other participants. And for, when I thought of the book, I knew it had to be somewhat quirky because, again, I wanted it to be fun. I wanted mm -hmm. people to pick it up and laugh. I wanted people to maybe be stuck and then pick up the book and read their favorite chapter or bake their favorite pie or whatever. So I saw it as illustrated with uh, quirky drawings and I thought of my friend Emil and, and his illustrations and what he had done. And so I, I, it's funny, I didn't think of it at first as like a graphic novel, like the way people um, create a graphic novel visually, but I did see it as interacting visually um, and having just fun illustrations along the way. And then the way it turned out is because he did so many illustrations, it really does just have I mean, every single page has at least one, you know, full color illustration. So it's it's kind of wacky that way, but fun. Yeah, I know, but wacky in a um, inspiring way, not wacky in a like, what is going on? But more, <laughs> it's it's very inspiring because it has to yeah. do with each thing you talked about. So oh, it's not it's it's creative wacky not just right. wacky for right. wacky's sake yeah right yeah yeah i hope the i hope the illustrations and the narrative both like make you laugh or make you think and ponder about things in a new creative way you know all the all the visual stimulation and and then also the narrative i hope and then of course the like i said it needs it needs scratch and sniff on the pages i think <laughs> yeah, so. some of it does for sure <laughs> but it's also great about um kind of showing the humorous side of it, taking mm -hmm. that so lightly, because it could be some heavy um, thoughts that you put across in the page, but then the fun that they that it had with the illustrations are really, really fun. No, thanks. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun doing it. I mean, again, this book was also hard to do. Um, and I think for Emil as well, he worked so hard on all of those illustrations. Um, 
and then figuring out, I mean, I'd never written a cookbook before. So that was kind of, kind of also another challenge. Again, a little perseverance, literally and figuratively went in there. Um, and it was a, it was definitely a project of love. You know, it was a passion project for me because I, I love teaching and I really wanted something that, you know, like Annie Lamont's Bird by Bird really inspired me and kept me going. But then I also used it to, to when I get stuck or not know what to do, I just wanted to pick it up sometimes. And I did pick it up and flip to something that kept me going. And you know, I, I didn't necessarily always reread it, but I did flip through it. And I hope this book ends up with like, you know, pie smears on it and <laughs> it's dog eared and little tabs put on it and things under, I mean, I want it to be like, you know, really used and thick, you know, cause you've spilt your, you know, your, your olive oil on it or whatever, you know, or your tea. Butter smears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all so. the best cookbooks have that. And I have to tell you, I'll make a confession. I, made the onion and cheese pie. And there is a few smudges on that page already. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Ooh, that onion and cheese pie is so <laughs> is rich. so good, though. Yes. So good. Oh, well, how did you yeah. decide what recipes you would put in the book? Because I bet you have at least triple the amount that you did put in or were able to put in. Yes, I did. It's funny because, uh, you know, we, we sold the book on proposal. So I had five pies. <laughs> And then um, trying to figure out how many pies and how many chapters. And then I wanted it to be a combination of sweet and savory. I I tend toward more of the savory pie, but I know especially I Americans think of sweet pies when they think of pie. Um, so I wanted it to be a combo. But then I did want the pies to reflect what the chapters were about. And in the sense of not necessarily the flavor but what I went through when I um, developed that recipe and, you know, some recipes come from something that you, a recipe that somebody else wrote, but you've tweaked it enough that it's become your own recipe. And I tell the story of that, or for instance, there's one recipe that, oh my God, I, I had this idea of this margarita pie I wanted to do. And I wanted to have yes. like this Pavlov shell that was made of meringue and then had this ice of meringue, like margarita. I, anyway, I, I failed and failed and failed and failed at that pie. And then I finally just, it was a lesson in just like when you're writing and you realize the story's not working, I got to scrap it and start with something else completely different. <laughs> And oh, I such did. a hard thing to do. Yeah, oh. giving up on it, especially when you just know it sounds like such a good idea. <laughs> and my poor, my neighbors had to test drive the other margarita pie. It was quite, you know, sad. <laughs> Sometimes it was a little too chewy. Um, <laughs> but so there's things like that. So the margarita pie, I put that, each each recipe has a, a, little, a short little essay about like why that pie connects with that chapter and why that store, you know, there's a little story to go with each recipe. Yeah. Well, and that's what I meant about the book is like, um, especially the margarita pie, because you were able to tie it to the lesson of, uh -huh. you know, don't give up, but keep going and keep going and, and keep trying and finally realizing maybe something doesn't work. So you go on to something else. And I think it's, that's a real life lesson. 
It is. Well, it's part of perseverance, I guess, or perseverance, as we say now. Um, it, it is part of that, right? Like we do, perseverance isn't about just keep trying until you die. <laughs> that would be die-severance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but perseverance. Let's, let's trademark that, Amy. I know, I love <laughs> totally. it. Totally. I just I'm going to dream about that, that word now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm totally using that one again. Um, yeah. <laughs> so are we, by right? the way. Yeah. Okay, good. Be sure to credit my book in that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so uh, instead of perseverance, we are trying for perseverance, and sometimes that does mean uh, stepping back a little bit, and or at least a lot, and then and then moving forward again and and re readjusting. And I think that's what pie does, right? Is it takes you, it gives you that moment to step back and then reassert yourself into the writing or whatever your your project is. So um, that's that's big belief of mine. Um, I feel like we should have a margarita pie contest. Oh, that's a good idea. And see if somebody can actually come up with a recipe for margarita pie. Yeah. Um, I do oh. have a margarita pie in there. It is very much more like I added, it does have tequila in it, and I added coconut to it just because I, the way it worked out. But it just, it wasn't the dream I had. I still think that other pie can make it. I'm going to still try for that one, and then I'll have to call it something else. But well, That's awesome. Um, so many of our listeners are aspiring writers, mm -hmm. and this seems exactly the book they need. When I first started writing, I don't know, 30 years ago, uh -huh. um, one of the first, 25, one of the first things I did was grab Julia Cameron's The Artist's mm. Way. Right. And I feel like your book is a very yummy extension of that book. Like the two of you should get yeah. together and do a, a creative writing class and, and you do the pie and feed because it has some kind of the same spirit about it, mm -hmm. which is this, this act of creation. And it's not just about showing up on the page. It's about the things you do that feed it. So can you talk about what you want readers and bakers to take away from the book? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Julie Cameron, Julie Cameron is a great example of the artist way. I mean, that was also another book that really when I, like you, when I started, um, I didn't plan on being a novelist. I never plan on doing any of my books. They all just decide they're going to be my book. But, <laughs> right. And, and, um, I, so I was writing this, I was actually doing my morning pages and Oh my gosh, I do yeah. them every single day, Miss Amy. Every all single right. day. Good job. And see, and I, I was doing mine and I was, and, and you know, I was, I was complaining. I was just writing in them and they were just kind of journaling at first. And I even have the date. Cause I remember the date was, it was, February 3rd, 1997, I think, or something like that. That's how long ago it was. But we was were starting at the same time. Same time. That's, That's crazy. Awesome. Yes. And that was, I guess, the artist way was so hot then, too. Yeah. And I was writing my morning pages, but I was writing things like, I hate my boss and I need a new job. And what can, you know, and I was just like <laughs> complaining. And so one morning I was like, and that was that February 3rd, 1997, I wrote, I don't want to complain anymore. I want to write something else. So I thought, well, I'm going to write as somebody besides me. Then, <laughs> So, so I had written this, uh, th that weekend previously, I'd been at a writing workshop and I created this character and I thought, I'm going to have her write my morning pages today. Oh my gosh. And, I love that. Yeah. That's and she just came out. Uh, her name is Ruby and Ruby Kincaid and she's the, 
she's the first person in the Moon Pies and Movie Stars. And she wrote that novel. I was the typist. And she, in that day I started, I never wrote another journal entry. I just wrote morning pages that became a novel from that. And it was really just about sitting down. Oh, I'm going to try that. I'm going to, yeah. that's yeah. a fascinating exercise yeah. because on some level, you know, morning pages start to sound like, wah, 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 wah. Mm-hmm. but I still believe in them. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll even write like, what am I doing with this book? Do I want to abandon it? But to write a morning page from the character's point of view, instead mm-hmm. of keeping that energy in the novel is fascinating. That's yeah. awesome, Amy. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. I think it's just about like, you know, there's a excerpt in the book where I say, um, you know, just, just don't leave the house without having written some, even if it's just a page or a paragraph, but try to write something every day, just like Julia Cameron suggests about a page a day and, or I think it's three pages with, with Julia morning pages. And, and I was telling my students about how, you know, you wouldn't leave the house without brushing your teeth. So don't leave the house without having written, you know, something and use the same amount of time you do for brushing your teeth to just write a little something. And I was telling my dental hygienist that and she was like, yeah, you'd be surprised how many people don't brush their teeth. (laughs) So I know that's what I said. The same look you have on your face is the look I had on my face. But yeah, so that I feel a little nauseous. (laughs) I know. So anyway, if I can give anybody any, any advice, it's that you should you should brush your teeth and do your pages every day. So, and if you don't brush your teeth, start now. Exactly. And if you don't brush your teeth, at least write. (laughs) (laughs) And and you might want to save up for some veneers if you're going to go on book tour. So, (laughs) yeah. I love it. What a great sense of humor. And it's all through the book too. It it comes through. It's so great to meet you and know that it's all coming from a genuine place and who you are. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Like I said, I like people to laugh and it is life, life and writing are both hard. So, or can be. Yeah. So um, you've talked to us a little bit about your collaboration with um, Mr. Wilson Mm -hmm. on the illustrations, but can you tell me a little bit about how the process worked? Did you send the recipes and uh, write the script and then send it to him for possible (laughs) illustrations? Yes, exactly. In fact, I'd written the book first um, and didn't have any illustrations for it. And I was trying to pitch it by itself. I had a lot of interest in it, but I just saw it was visually. So like I said, I contacted him. He's a friend of mine and said, would you be interested in helping me with this? We did it on proposal. And he he said yes. And so he took what I had already written for the proposal and and then created a, uh, he actually was in, he's in advertising and art director in the advertising world. And so I was really fortunate too, because he helped do that whole beautiful proposal that we had uh, that helped us to pitch it to publishers and agents. And, um, but then after we got the book deal, again, I would write the chapter and we had, we had written out what we thought the chapters would be. They stayed pretty much what we had put in our proposal. Um, but he then would take the chapter and draw, draw the pictures. So, so that was interesting. It was, this is a little um, side story. There was a, um, there's a story I put in there about uh, trekking in Nepal and um, also about 
uh, without telling you the whole story because it's come long, but uh, I had a little Buddhism uh, issue, a story in it about I was going to teach, I was sort of tricked into teaching this class on Buddhism that I knew nothing about. <laughs> Again, perseverance. And um, so I have these uh, uh, pies that are related to the Momo pies in Nepal, which are little dumplings. And so the, one of the illustrations is uh, the Dalai Lama and, you know, it's kind of a, a cartoon illustration of like the Dalai Lama and the, and the pies. And um, uh, they couldn't put the, the printer for su such a high production kind of a book is usually in China. And, but China won't print anything with the Dalai Lama. So uh, no I guess we can't mention that. the Dalai Lama here or your podcast won't be able to be played in China. So we'll cut that out. So, <laughs> so <laughs> You can edit that section. But I thought that was an interesting thing about the whole production process. But yeah, so that would be a, an example of like, uh, Emil just took my story about um, the challenges I had in that it was a personal challenge with this like class and the situation I got kind of set up for. And, um, and then he just drew the illustrations to go with it. So that's amazing. Collaboration can be the most beautiful thing in the world or it can tap into the darkest shadow of both of the people collaborating. Right? Right? And so there's, there's always, you know, we, we all collaborate for the show and we are so the luckiest because I think everybody brings out the best in each other, but there's always that fear that there's this kind of dark, which we've all experienced. Right. right. Um, so the two of you created something really extraordinary. Um, when collaboration works, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I think, well, we both have the same sense of humor and I think that was mm, that kind helps. of, you know, that's what I think I knew when I approached him, I thought, well, he has the same sense of humor. So I think he'll get what I'm trying to do. And, and he really did. So that was, that was awesome. I lucked out. When you were working on it, I'm really curious because it happens to me when I'm, asked to teach and I don't like teaching. I'm not very good at it, but did you learn or clarify anything about your own writing when you were working on this book? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I'm sure I did. Let's see. Um, well, you know, it's funny because I did like when I was writing the chapters after we had the book deal. So then you're writing on writing on deadline then, you know? And so um, I do remember there was one day where I was like, okay, I told them I was going to write a chapter about um, how I get my ideas. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I, I, one of the things I talk about is things like baking a pie and coming up with ideas or doing stepping outside and gardening or walking or something like that. And like Mark Twain also, uh, I guess he supposedly walked 20 miles a day. That's a lot. So um, I know, I'd right? I'd be in the bed. I know, yeah. right? I know why it makes my feet hurt. Just think, I get blisters just thinking about it. Um, so I went on a bike ride because I, I love to bike. And I was on my way to a friend's house to meet her for lunch. I was on my bike. And and all these ideas started coming to me about um, times that ideas had come to me. I, it was one of those weird, like, you know, an idea within an idea or whatever. I was, I was very meta of you. Right, exactly. Ooh. It was very meta. And that's when I realized, you know, um, there is something, in fact, I, I came home and Googled it and I'm not going to be able to quote it or anything like that, but it was something I was curious about. Why does your brain, like when you do stop 
trying to make something happen, why mm. does it suddenly show up in your head? Like, why does the idea or the answer come to you? Like when you're about to drift off to sleep or when you're in the shower right. or, you know, why does that happen? And like I said, I don't remember it exactly, but it had something to do with basically, you know, the way our brains work and all that chaos that kind of goes on in the brain. And when you, when it settles, then your subconscious has a chance to surface uh, what you were really looking for. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it at that. Cause like I said, I don't remember the scientific explanation, but that the was subconscious my- is such a bubbly, weird cauldron. <laughs> right. Cauldron is a good word for it. <laughs> and I just I just feel like when I'm trying to stir it or look into it, it just mm-hmm. it, it's like a reluctant friend. They're like, don't look at me. But the right. minute I look away, it's like that guy, all of a sudden it it starts tapping you on the shoulder. Um right. So it's it's it, when people say where do your ideas come from, it's nearly impossible to answer. Right, it's, right. It's, if it was easy to answer, we'd write a book about here's how you get your ideas, right? Exactly. But all we can do is just talk about how to, like Julia Cameron and like you, mm-hmm. all we can really talk about is how to tap into that in almost like you have to look at it sideways. Right. You can't look it directly in the eyes, right? You have to kind of I allow the idea. Yeah. 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 I'm not looking at you. I'm not, I'm really not. I'm not, I'm not. I swear. I'm not yeah. chasing you down. <laughs> right. Not. It's true though. I think looking at it sideways is a good way of, of putting it because it is. That's why you um, make pies. You're kind of like, right. I'm know. looking the other way and letting the, the, the ideas settle. Um, yeah. but yeah, this, so you can't, you can't ask the subconscious. It has, it wants to tell you when it wants to tell you. I mean, it's just, it's got its own, it's got its own mind. It doesn't, it's got know. its own agenda. I know. <laughs> What is the first thing you say to someone? I'm dying to know this here on the writer's block. What is the first thing you say to someone when they say, I can't do it. I have writer's block. Oh, you know, that's yes. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I believe in writer's block. I, I, I hesitate to say that because I know it happens, but I also think again, there is that, uh, I guess for me, I suggest is, just keep writing through it. You know, again, it's that perseverance, perseverance or diceverance. Um, and it's, uh, but it, it is about just keeping going. And there are days, um, there are days when it seems like there's nothing there. Um, yeah. And yet I guess what I believe, again, maybe it's the subconscious. I don't know what it is. I'm not a, a neuroscientist nor a psychologist to explain why the brain does this. But I think we think we have writer's block and it doesn't necessarily mean we do. And for example, um, I tell this story a lot because I heard it and it, it inspired me, which is I saw Michael Cunningham, the author of The Hours, um, mm-hmm. the Pulitzer Prize winner, speak one time. And I'm sure I'm misquoting and maybe, you know, who knows how off the story is, but um, the story still works, whether it's true or not. Um, but he was writing and he was suffering from depression. And uh, but he made himself write every single day and he would go to his, you know, you know, place to write and wrote every day. And he felt like what he was writing was a bunch of junk. And every once in a while, he might have a little something that would be kind of a spark of something. But he just made sure he was always there. And then mm-hmm. after it took years, but 
at the end of it, then he had, I think it was, um, it was either the hours or another one of his books. And, um, and he said, looking back, he couldn't tell you what he wrote on the bad days and what he wrote on the good days. So sometimes when we think we're writing, yeah. So I think we talk ourselves into writer's block and we should just really just be writing and then, but, you know, see what happens. I know like I, I teach, uh, writing practice workshops where people just, you know, we write stream of, not stream of conscious, but you know, from a writing prompt, it's just writing practice and it's just first draft stuff, right? Timed writings. And, um, I suggest people share at the end. They don't have to, but they have, um, you know, to read it out loud. And the reason to read it out loud is you often hear something completely different than what you mm-hmm. thought you wrote. You know, again, that's our brain doing whatever it's doing um, that I guess I need to go in to become a neuroscientist next. So <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll go take some neuroscience classes. Sure. I read a lot of yeah. Stephen Pressfield and his uh-huh. his, you know, about he wrote the war of art. Oh, not the art of war, the war of art. And his his whole thing is that whenever we say things like that, that's. This actual, we're going to get a little woo-woo for a second, but it's mm-hmm. this like actual energy field that he calls, we can call it whatever we want, resistance. Mm-hmm. And that all these things you talk about, Amy, from the pie making to the practices to the bike ride to just writing anyway, mm-hmm. those are all ways of busting through the resistance yes. and that um, it is an actual kind of energy, that resistance. So the Michael Cunningham story shows too, like you sit down, do some words and you don't know what it will become. Right. Exactly. You know, it's about, and you know, I mean, the woo woo part would be, Oh, keep believing, but it's so hard to, you know, mm. tell yourself that when you're not feeling it. <sighs> but if you just keep doing, you know, that's the Nike thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> just keep doing, then it does show on the other side of it. And a lot of that is sort of tricking yourself, I think, too. Maybe that's another way oh, of yeah. people looking at it. I mean, there's, it's all the same thing, but it's whether you want to look at it as you're tricking yourself or you're just persevering or you're, um, you know, taking next steps or you're doing your morning pages. I mean, all of those things are keeping us on the page. I love it. So in reading about your work, uh, mm-hmm. we ran across a few other items that I want to ask you about. Can you talk about dime stories and the NPR connection? Oh, sure. Yeah, Dime Stories was, um, that was actually another collaboration. Uh, but I started that uh, in 2004, and I was asked to start a um, prose open mic because I'd always, I was part of this writing organization called San Diego Writers Inc. that is here in San Diego. And they knew I was always kind of grousing about how there's all these poetry open mics. There's no prose open mics. And, you know, if you go to the poetry open mics, they're always kind of little, like you don't really feel you fit in with your prose. And so, um, so they asked me to start a poetry, a prose open mic. And so I, I, I said, sure. And I actually thought, you know, oh, it'll last about six months, you know, I'll do this thing. And, um, and it, it took off. I made a couple of rules. One was that the piece had to be, uh, no more than three minutes, which is about 500 words. 
and it um, also there would be no feature readers at our poetry um, group because I always felt like people come to really read themselves. They don't. I mean, they come for the the feature too, but. I felt like it was really about the audience, about the group that came and not just to focus on a feature. And so again, I was trying to be so different than a poetry open mic. Um, and people loved it. And the three minute rule was hard for people at first. I had a timer. Um, they oh, that'd be horrible. It was awful. They started calling me the time Nazi. They thought it was awful. But but the funny thing was, is people started editing. It became like an editing mm. um thing for people because they knew they were going to get like, you know, thrown off stage if they didn't stop. People would come up to me before the open mic and say, can I just get a couple extra minutes? And I was like, no. <laughs> and, um, but it grew and then the audience started getting to where they really appreciated those really tight stories and love it um they so when someone would go over time the audience would be i didn't have to do anything anymore the audience was like keeping them off you know getting them to go off stage um and it's grown now uh we have chapters in Albuquerque, Colorado, Orange County, and we had one in New York for a while, and I think there's one somewhere else that I'm not thinking of right now, but um, I'm more, I've stepped away from it, and a couple of other people have taken over, and, and it's just done really, really well. And then the NPR connection is, that's where I was mentioning that collaboration. This was in the early days before, um, you know, like I said, 2004, at probably around 2006 or so, um, someone came along and wanted to record it, and they were we were doing recorders and posting them online, you know, recordings online, and then everybody was so excited about that. And then um, he had a connection to um, to NPR, and um, they came and did some like featured pieces of it, and it was actually when they were looking at. Um, just starting the moth and they were considering, you know, the dime stories or the moth and the, the moth has a little more, um, uh, you know, uh, re reading without a, you know, no notes, you know, kind of thing going for it. So it was, it was quite a bit different. Um, but yeah, we got featured several of our pieces went and you, there's, you can actually find our NPR pieces online and they're really great. And in fact, uh, Emil, the illustrator of, of my book now, the How to Write a Novel in 20 Pies, is he's also one of those that got picked up for the Dime Stories on, on awesome. NPR. So that was awesome. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. That's so cool. We will yeah. check that out. Yeah. So the other thing that we read about, and I think Patty and I agree that we are in, talk to us about NanoPymo. Oh, NanoPymo. Yeah, that's about to start. And I'm starting. I already... I. My flower was delivered yesterday um, and uh, NanoPymo. So it happened also, everything I do, I guess, happens kind of accidentally. I woke up four years ago on October 31st and thought, I know, I'm going to do NanoRimo and NanoPymo, and I'm going to bake a pie a day and write pages every day. Oh <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, the, the writing part didn't, didn't take as well as the pie. <laughs> so I did bake a pie a day for the whole month. Um, and it wow. was so much fun. Uh, and then the, I did it again the next year. And it costs a lot of money. So the next year after that, I do work with um, 
this uh, group of inner city kids and uh, teach them personal storytelling. So then this last year I created it as a, a fundraiser and I sold the pies. I auctioned the pies off as I baked them and it got quite competitive. I raised <laughs> over $4,000 for the, oh. for the nonprofit. And so this year I'm doing it for them again and hoping to raise even more. And, um, they have an absolutely gorgeous uh, commercial kitchen at Ocean Discovery Institute. So I'm going to do some pie baking there and um, showing the kids and things like that, too. So I'm just it keeps kind of growing as well and becoming more and more fun. And uh, on December 1st, I take a very long nap. So. <laughs> I'm thinking about a pie a day and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. But then again, uh, pages every day feels right. overwhelming. And we do that. I do that right. year round. Right. Exactly. So exactly. That's what I thought. Exactly. So um, but yes, pies, a, pies a little bit more than the pages. But um, and then but you do get to eat it at the end. And That's I can't true. wait to follow along with that. That's amazing. So Amy, what is next up for you besides NanoPimo? Yeah. Well, and, and actually NanoPimo, anybody can follow it on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and uh, definitely but, will. Oh, don't think we won't. Yeah. And, and anybody can bid if you're not, if you're out of, out of town or out of state, you can, the pie will go to the kids. So um but yeah, we will uh, definitely post on um, the Friends in Fiction page and tell everybody okay. about it. Um, Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So they yeah. can follow along. It's really fun and people get really excited and, you know, they get excited about which particular pies and all of that kind of stuff. And of course, there's all these visuals of the pie, which people seem to really love pie pics. <laughs> um, awesome. But what's next for me is. I'm working on a novel that is also another perseverance project because it has a copyright issue. And so it's a Nancy Drew. It's a menopausal Nancy Drew. So, oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> so it's Nancy Drew at the age of 48. And, um, and she's, uh, you know, she's had her, her hard knocks in life, you know, and she's 48 middle age, not where she thought she would be at 18, you know, and she's trying to figure out her life. It's, you know, she's trying to solve the case of the missing life. Um, oh, my gosh. This is so herself. great. I was such a Nancy Drew aficionado. Find, right? yeah. She still drives in a convertible. This one's a little more beat up. Um, and she's so, but there are, so the perseverance part on this one is, one, I've never written a mystery, so I had to figure out that genre. And that was actually really fun. I've read so many Agatha Christie's now, not all, but almost. And um, also there's a copyright issue because Nancy Drew was written by Carolyn Keene, which is a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And so like all those Jane Austen books, um, Jane Austen died. And after a certain amount of time, that becomes public domain. Well, Na Carolyn Keene will never die. In fact, Nancy Drew's are still being written because there's lots of different people that use that pseudonym. So she'll never go into the public domain. So I can't really use Nancy Drew, um, but I've been trying to figure out ways to do that. And um, like I talked to a literary attorney about what I could do um, and he gave me some suggestions. And um, so I'm working on that right now and trying to figure that out for, he suggested the, the uh, for me to look at the George C. Scott movie, uh, They Might Be Giants, which is, um, about a guy who thinks he's Sherlock Holmes. 
So I think this might be a little bit of maybe that, you know, know, sort of that unreliable narrator and she'll think she's Nancy Drew, um, you know, what happens with that. So, so I've been working with an unreliable narrator, which is also new to me. And been really fun. You know, you're working with somebody who's this a little sounds bit awesome. It's yeah, fun. I this hope sounds it works awesome. out. So again, I've done many drafts and many variations trying to make it work. And boy, does Pfizer variance apply here. So I'm just hoping it doesn't become dice. This sounds well worth yeah, it. I, I have I have a, a good feeling that this is gonna be very successful. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I just got a little chill bump <laughs> yeah, about it. I thank love you. that. The whole concept is amazing. So where can everybody find you online? Uh, you're on Facebook, Instagram, where, Facebook. where can? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I, um, and you can find me on Instagram. I'm Amy Liz writes pretty much everywhere. You, my, my website is amywallen.com. So, okay. um, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. If you look for me, I'm, I'm, I'm there and I, I like talking to people. So, you know, look for me. So, gosh, and you are the is, real deal. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and How to Write a Novel in 20 Pies is out there wherever your favorite bookstore is. It is. It's a wonderful book. And, Amy, it's been amazing getting to know you and learning all about this How to Write a Novel in 20 Pies. I think every aspiring writer needs to grab a copy of this because it's so full of advice, but it's kind of a mixture of um, – like deliciousness to wash it down with. And so some of the things are a little tough to hear, a little tough to read for writers, but, but it's the truth and you just wash it down with pie and it's all good at the end of the day. Excellent. I like that. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, this has been really fun, you guys. Oh, so fun talking to you. Yeah. Very inspiring, Amy. I hope hope I get to meet you in real life one day. Oh, that's great. We're going to one of her classes, remember? Oh, I that's know. right. Yeah, you can yeah, definitely yeah. can. Sometimes we do them on Zoom and uh, definitely people. In fact, uh, we talked about Susan Henderson. Um, she actually yeah. came out here for a couple of the classes and uh, they're long weekends. So who doesn't want to come to San Diego and spend the weekend writing um, and uh, hanging out and then go to the beach in between? So. My hand is raised. The next one's in January. So I'll put you okay. down. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> All right. And to all our listeners, we love having you join us each week for a fresh episode. On behalf of the Fab Four, huge thanks to you for listening, and please, please be sure and tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.